welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Tay territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequem-Ulu. And today's text is The Shamer's Daughter, book one in the Shamer Chronicles, by Lene Caberball, I think, Joe? I hope somebody will write in and correct us. Mm-hmm. And we're in a fantasy world, so yeah. no territorial acknowledgement today. No. But it is very interesting to me, Joe, as I was reading this one, because we haven't done much Danish literature. No. <laughs> this is this is a middle grade fantasy uh, written by a Danish crime writer, actually. Oh. Yeah. So very interesting in terms of like the background and stuff. But I was really struck by how fantasy tropes do transcend culture to a certain degree. Like that Mm -hmm. idea that so much of fantasy is set in this kind of alternative, almost like Middle Ages type setting, but with dragons. Like there must be something we're all looking for in fantasy that, you know, these themes emerge across cultures. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's universal storytelling. And actually to that effect, so we should thank listener Charlotte, who gave us this recommendation back when we were talking about Alana, the first adventure. So of the Shamer Chronicles, Charlotte says, they inhabit a similar space to Pierce's work, but are also distinctly Scandinavian in their sensibilities and representations of moral complexity and the girl protagonist. I love these books and would be thrilled to hear you take them up. The first two have been adapted to film, as I mentioned at the end of last week, and apparently also two award-winning Danish language musicals, which I have seen and which were decent. (laughs) (laughs) And then Charlotte finishes this up by saying, Cabrabal is Danish kids lit YA royalty and definitely deserves a spotlight. Well, thank you so much for the recommendation, Charlotte. And uh, yeah, we're we're taking your lead and we're checking it out. And this is an interesting one. We'll get into the plot summary as usual uh, shortly. But Joe, I, I did a little reverse on this one and I watched the film first. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then I read the book second. And I have to say, so Charlotte says, Charlotte does not give us a recommendation one way or the other on the films, says that she no. hasn't watched them. Yeah. I think the film is a very faithful adaptation, like Mm -hmm. after going back and reading the book, but the film did not grab me anywhere near as much as the book did. But I really did enjoy this story. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. I do want to unpack that when we get to the film, because I'll admit, I thought the film was fine in a very YA fantasy kind of fashion like Mm -hmm. i didn't think it was bad i didn't think it was great uh i was a little surprised that they ended up making the sequel we'll talk about the financials but yeah i really like this book though like i don't know if it's something about caprabal's writing but it just really kind of grabbed me in the same way that alana did yeah, I agree. So so let's jump into the plot summary and then we can maybe talk about what worked for us so well here. Sure. So our protagonist is Dina and she has inherited her mother's gift. So gift in quotations. Title, yeah, judging by the title, <laughs> you may know where we're going. So her mother is a shamer. And this is a superpower that I want, Joe, very much. 
Ooh, I don't know, though. The ramifications of it sound both great and also awful, which I think the book does such an excellent job yes. of exploring. Yes, I agree. So basically what a shamer is, is if you make eye contact with a shamer, they know everything that you're ashamed of. Mm -hmm. The gift manifests slightly differently for Dina because she can almost... Um, sort of show people like that they have nothing to be ashamed of. She has like this mm -hmm. much more reciprocal relationship, whereas her mom is really sort of positioned in society as like the finder of guilt. Yeah. And so we see at the beginning of the text that, you know, nobody wants to be friends with Dina because like when you're a preteen and your life is filled with shame, I guess the mm -hmm. last thing you want to do is hang out with somebody who can see all your secrets. Um, yeah. So the plot kicks off when one night Dina's mother is called to Dunark Castle to ply her gift effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so she disappears and she's gone for like a really long time. And then this guy on a horse comes and takes Dina too. And what we find out is there's been a horrific murder. Like mm -hmm. a whole family has been killed. And the person who has been assumed to be guilty because he's you know, the heir to the throne and... Well, he's discovered covered in blood and holding the knife as well. Yeah, no, no. But I mean, what's the motive beyond it? You know, that's what I kept thinking. Like, he's already going to inherit all of this. I don't really... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, So, obviously, he's not really the guilty party. Mm -hmm. And because Dina's mother is very moral and just, she says, no, this guy didn't do it. And this enrages the usurping leader who... Spoiler alert, does do all the murdering. Mm -hmm. um, this is Draken. Yes. And he, so we have like the fall of the House of the Raven and the rise of the House of the Dragon. And these two, the Shamer and her daughter, are really caught in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of adventures. <laughs> Dina and Nico end up, sorry, Nico is the one who has been accused of murder. And he and Dina really do team up and become like sort of best adventuring pals. There's an equally forlorn little girl named Rose who ends up becoming Dina's friend and ally. Mm -hmm. There's magic. There's a witch. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And at the end of the book, they try to feed Dina and her mother to a dragon, but they do not succeed. Mm -mm. And we go off waiting ostensibly for our next adventure. Oh my god, yes, Brenna, you are underselling this to the max because it's not <laughs> just adventures, but I particularly do want to spend some time on the end because yeah, as I teased at the end of last week, this really does feel like it's a self-contained story in that, okay, we have finished book one and we're ready to send people on their way. But it's not the kind of cathartic, super climactic end that people might be expecting. Like, Draken does not get his comeuppance. Nico no. does not kill him. In fact, Nico pointedly says, I cannot kill this person. I'm incapable of doing this right now. He's kind of a pacifist. It's an issue. Ooh, Nico, do more murders. Right? <laughs> Nico, you need to be more like the guy who's trying to frame you. But then the thing that really shocked me was, oh, Dina and her mom as well as Nico, Rose, and Master Manus, who is Nico's mentor, who has like, not quite magic spells, but he's definitely an alchemist. Mm -hmm. And his sister. Yes, and his sister. They literally have to go on the run and relocate because it's not safe to go home anymore, even though they don't even live in this kingdom. 
well, they live in the kingdom, but they live at the outskirts of the kingdom in sort of the right. rural area that isn't like sort of usually left to its own devices. But when they go back to their home, Cherry Cottage, I think, mm -hmm. um, it has been destroyed. Yes. And so, yeah, they have nothing to go home to. I actually really liked this ending. It's bleak, but wholly believable. And I think, you know, as I said, I watched the film first and the ending of the film really didn't work for me. I really appreciated how, yeah, I guess how bleak this idea of like, yeah, these scrappy nothing characters and this ousted heir mm -hmm. have gone up against a very, very powerful man and they have yes. lost. Like, yeah. yeah, they're on the run. They're in exile, like forever. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated the way the book handled it. There's also this sense, you know, that throughout the book, really all Dina wants to do is get home. Yeah. And there's the fact that she can never get home, but also the sort of life lesson she learned that home is the fact that her siblings are safe and that they mm -hmm. are together. All of that really worked for me. And I, I totally get how this is a setup for the next book. Mm -hmm. And it's not wholly satisfying insofar as our villain is still in the world. We have not destroyed the the thing that brings these people pain. Yeah. But I think I was fairly satisfied by this ending, knowing as I do that it's the first book of a four book series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Did it work for you, Joe? It really did work for me. So I didn't know that this is how it was going to end. So I was pretty surprised when we don't kill Draken or he is not discovered to be the person behind all the murders. Like Enough people know that you can tell he would have to work at it, but his position is still relatively secure. Like, he will become king unless something changes in the next three books kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, initially I found it off-putting because it wasn't the pat ending that I was expecting and I wanted because I wanted good <laughs> things for Dina because she's a good person. She's a great character. She's a great character. Rose is a great character. Even mm -hmm. Nico, who is kind of a, like, I'm a knight, but I don't want to be, and I don't really want to have responsibility. I'd almost rather kill myself than have to face the fact that I'm being blamed for this. Like, everyone in this is very tropey, mm -hmm. and yet they also have enough about them that they feel very real, very lived in, very believable. And I think yeah. that's such a tricky line to walk. Yeah, I agree. There's a real sense in this book. I think what I like about it very much is that every single character, with the exception of Draken, obviously, mm -hmm. is trying their best. Like, yeah. even the townspeople who find themselves aligned with Draken, it's because they believe that their, like, beloved king was murdered in cold blood by his son, right? Like, yeah. everybody is trying to do good within the contexts of their understanding of the world. And there's something really... I don't know, refreshing about that, particularly in a fantasy context where often good and evil are really black and white. Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of sort of people just trying to do their best in this book. And I, I think I have a real soft spot for that as a narrative device these days. Well, and as Charlotte indicated in the email, right, this is a morally murky text where on the surface, it seems very easy to understand. Like, the shamer's powers are literally black and white. I can either tell you that this person committed this murder or they did not. And yet, the world doesn't work that way. So even though it seems like it should be a open and shut case for Dina's mother, 
because people have their own motivations and this guy is not telling the truth like that's what we haven't said is that draken doesn't feel any shame Mm -hmm. so we can look him in the eye as a shamer and not detect anything and this is something that has never happened before i remember when i was first reading it and we got to that moment i thought draken was actually going to be a good guy because dina's mother said only true people are going to look you in the eye and those people will be your friend because they won't be ashamed or scared of you. Well, and that's why Dina goes with him when he mm-hmm. comes to pick her up. Like, A, he knows her mother and B, he looks her in the eye and she's like, yeah. oh, okay, well, you're good then. <gasps> and of course, we discover the world isn't quite so simple. Like, in some ways, this is such a conventional coming of age narrative, right? Dina mm-hmm. has this power. She doesn't want it. She learns to appreciate it. She learns that the world is much bigger than herself. It's so pat in that way like cut Mm -hmm. and dry we've seen this a million times and yet nothing about this story ended up feeling safe or secure like i honestly did fear for a lot of these characters not that i thought they were going to die but just the story continually upended my expectations even rose who seems like okay this is a best friend character we can rely on them they're going to be supporting our heroine at every turn And she's got this abusive, horrible brother and like Mm -hmm. all of this torture backstory. And you just think, oh, we don't see this in North American middle grade fiction. (laughs) No, no, we don't usually. And, you know, it is truly a middle grade text. Like there's something about it that feels very, um, in spite of all the complexity, there is an ease in reading it. Like you could totally give this to a 10, 11 year old and they would be fine with it. Mm hmm. I don't feel that way so much with the film. Like, I feel like the film is very no. scary to that age group. So it's an interesting yes. disjuncture that occurs, which we'll talk about. But mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's really, I think, very sophisticated in the way that it is a very accessible discussion of mm-hmm. these kinds of moral challenges, which is, yeah, as you say, not something we typically get in North American literature. Yeah. So Brenna, noted mm-hmm. hater of fantasy. Yeah and walking and yeah. quests and that kind of stuff Hate how did you fare with this because you teased last week that this is it's almost medieval fantasy yeah. where it feels grounded in reality maybe just a historical past kind of difference yeah um i really appreciated the lack of questing i have to okay. tell you <laughs> you know the stakes are very high for dina constantly and Yeah, this isn't getting into a magical school. This is, my mom's about to be publicly executed via dragon. Yeah, and it's not like if I find six rings and make 12 wishes and throw something in a lake, everything will be okay. It's like, (laughs) that dragon's about to eat me. I better run. And I think the pacing here is extremely good. So a lot of my problem with fantasy is that... I feel like a lot of fantasy writers misunderstand world building for very lengthy description and questing. (laughs) Um, Whereas (laughs) here, like, I understand the rules of this world, but I never had to be given like a seven page treatise in like how this governance structure came to be. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I really appreciated Dina as a focalizer here, I guess, because we only really learn what's relevant to Dina. Right. And because there's no sort of omniscient 
narrator. And maybe that's what I don't do well with omniscient Mm. narrators in fantasy who feel the need to give me the whole backstory all the time. I'd rather just experience it. And here we really are just experiencing it. The pacing, I already said this, but the pacing is on point. (laughs) Like you move through this book and even in the moments where Dina's not allowed to participate. So there's a part where she's Oh, I was frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) Dina gets sidelined. Our protagonist gets sidelined because they deem it too dangerous for an 11-year-old girl, which, correct, but also (laughs) that means we get sidelined. And it's interesting, right, because it is so frustrating as a reader, and yet the length of that sidelining is very well handled. Yeah, it's totally appropriate. Yeah, she basically gets dropped back into danger, like, fairly immediately. Immediately. (laughs) Um, And everything is through her eyes. And so she is at this precipice of adulthood where she both recognizes that everything that's about to happen is too dangerous. She would almost certainly ruin the mission if she were to go Mm -hmm. along. And she's 11, so she's pissed as hell. (laughs) And she wants to be part of it. And the voice just works for me here. Like, I think we should probably do a shout out to the translator of this text, though. Like, no, it's her. It's it's the same author. Oh, is it? She oh. self-translates. She's fluent in Danish as well as English. <gasps> that makes so much sense, Joe, because it's, it's so letter perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. And the voice doesn't, you know, oftentimes when we're reading books in translation, it's particularly around characters' voice where we lose that sense of, like, immersion into the world. But there's mm-hmm. none of that here. No. Yeah, no, it is really good. This is just so eminently readable. The voice is pitch perfect. There's Mm -hmm. the childish petulance at just the right moments, but also taking in new worlds through a young perspective where this is scary, but it's also kind of exciting because you can tell that Dina hasn't really been to the big quote unquote city before. But you know, when she encounters dragons and even is nearly fatally injured, it's scary. It's appropriately scary. Yeah. It is. It is. I also love, there's a lot of attention to detail here in the text. So like, she's wounded by this dragon. And at first, it's getting better, but then it's getting worse. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of authors who would handle this with like, you'd forget about the wound entirely until it was narratively convenient for it to be infected, right? But that's Mm -hmm. not what happens here. It's like, She's constantly aware of this pain. She's constantly aware of not being able to use the arm fully. Mm -hmm. She's aware of like this dampness, weeping wound, but never explicitly. It's just always there, just like it would always be there if you had that kind of a wound. There's something Mm -hmm. about the detail and the way that that is articulated that I think is really kind of emblematic of why this book works so well as a whole. Yeah. Now, there is one other point that I wanted to flag about the book, maybe before we transition over to the film, but I was surprised when I was looking at reviews of this on Goodreads, because I gathered this is a bit of an under-the-radar title. I didn't actually find a ton of book reviews, so it was a lot of, like, Goodreads, casual people who had gotten an ebook or whatever from NetGallery, so on, so on. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people flagged the use of slurs that Draken uses against Dina. So he does call her a slut and a mm-hmm. whore. Mm-hmm. And people took a lot of issue with it. Really? Mm-hmm. And I found this peculiar. You know, they flagged it as this may not be wholly appropriate for the age group, i.e. middle grade readers. 
because of the severity of the language, but they did note that it was coming from a character who was not particularly sympathetic to the child protagonist. And I just thought, I guess it is more severe. Like normally we would say brat or scamp or I don't know, but it it felt wholly appropriate to me. Yeah. I mean, like, this is a guy who feeds people to dragons. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why we would expect him to not say rude things. Like, he fully tries to kill her after yeah. feeding poisoned wine to his brother. Yeah. He's a bad guy, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was very odd. I wonder if it's because the rest of the text does feel so appropriate for the intended audience that the severity of the language felt just more adult, like it jumped off the page at certain people. It feels like a very American criticism, Joe. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, You know, like this obsession with sort of sex and language and just general coolness with violence and bodies being ripped apart always Mm -hmm. strikes me as odd um i almost wonder like if he had have said bitch would it have been more appropriate because i think it's the sexualized nature right like because this is not a sexual child no but this is i mean this is a highly patriarchal world right like if you look at the living situation that rose is in she's so Rose is in this situation where her stepfather, who was supporting the family, stepfather is generous. Like mm-hmm. her mom cheats on her husband and has Rose. And that man, her father, supports the family somewhat financially. Right. But there's also this brother, like the son of the husband, and he hates Rose because she's this like lasting memory of his mother's infidelity. Mm-hmm. And he he controls their whole lives because now that the husband is dead, he's the man of the house and mm-hmm. he's violent and he's cruel. And basically like he says to her, like, if you don't do what I say, then you'll be on the street. You'll, you'll be doing sex work for survival. Like that's mm-hmm. all you have. Yeah. We continually encounter women on the margins in this text, you know, yeah. think about the woman outside the pub, like they're always in precarious situations and the threat is always to their physical body in a sexual fashion. Like mm-hmm. this book is very aware of the world that it is setting up and exactly what could happen to a character like Dina. Like yeah. Dina's only real protection is the fact that everyone is too scared to harm a shamer. Yes. Until now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and one of the other things that you, you kind of started to go down that path is that this is also a text filled with women who have to make a life of their own mm-hmm. because they don't have a man who can help to quote unquote support them. So Dina's mother had Dina and her other siblings out of wedlock. We don't know where the father is. Rose's father, as you said, passed. Well, and Draken's mother, right? Draken's mother is the cautionary tale in so many ways. The whole reason why Draken has been previously cast out by the family is that he is a bastard, quote unquote, mm-hmm. right? And the whole deal is that his mother was sort of cast out of the king's bedchambers and she wants revenge. And that's why Draken has like grown to be the person yeah. that he is. And, you know, this notion of like what women are pushed to or what women become within the context of a society that gives them so few options like that's everywhere here so Mm -hmm. of course the insults against dina are gendered and 
as cruel as Draken can imagine, which is to call her a slut or a whore, like these women who are basically being destroyed on the streets, you know, like, to me, it's so totally congruent that to flag it as an issue is like, to me, it's like those people who like, they count the swear words in John Green's books and write about it on Goodreads. It's like, (laughs) get get a life. There are other (laughs) other things to worry about in the world. Well, I would argue and and I you know, I apologize if we're offending anyone who felt this way when they read this. But to me, that also means that you're overlooking that relationship. Yeah. Like, as you said, this is a deeply patriarchal society. And it's a text primarily about women. And I mm-hmm. think that there's like, there is careful analysis of that going on within this narrative. It's just that it's below the surface. And I think if you're highlighting, oh, he seems deeply misogynistic and like anti sex work and this kind of stuff, it's like, yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i i you're kind to apologize joe i i just want to be clear that i don't um apologize because i (laughs) feel like i refuse to apologize no (laughs) not for this because i think that this is you know this is we're living in an age not not to get too macro here like we're do it we're we're back in an age of book bans over i mean book bans are always bad but book bans over the most ridiculous bs and like This obsession that we culturally have, I think, particularly in North America with policing expression. Mm -hmm. And I saw similar things to you, Joe, that I didn't dig into. But like, this book's been given like one star reviews on Goodreads because of the language. Oh, come on. Everybody needs to get a grip. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) And also, like, my kid is six, and you should hear the things kids yell at each other on the playground. Like, if Mm -hmm. you don't think you already need to be having these conversations with your children, by the time they're 10 or 11, you're out of your freaking mind. Yeah. It's a weird puritanical issue, isn't it? Well, it is. And the things that it chooses to care about are bizarre to me. The things that our puritanical culture decides to care about are bizarre to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want my precious Johnny to be reading the word whore, but I am very comfortable with him learning about child death. (laughs) Well, yeah, like exactly, you know? (sighs) All right, well, why don't we transfer over to the film? Let's do it. (laughs) We are all convinced of Nicodemus' skull. Men så længe han ikke vil tilstå, har vi intet andet valg end skammer. Når du ser på andre mennesker, så viser du dem alle de ting, som de skammer sig over. Du har en gave. Det er ikke nogen gave, at folk er bange for mig. Men det vil du først forstå, når du har lært, hvornår du skal bruge det nemme. Nicodemus blev fundet bevidstløs af druk med kniven i hånden og offrendes blod på sine hænder. Og hvornår du ikke skal... Okay, so the film comes out in 2015, so there's around 11 years gap in between. And this is a co-production between Denmark, Norway, the Czech Republic, Iceland, and Sweden. It is directed by Kenneth Keynes and written by Anders Thomas Jensen, as well as book author Lene Kaperball. So the film has a budget of 7.5 million euros, but it only grossed 2.3 million. I don't know if that's euros or US dollars. I don't know if that's worldwide, but it's hard to argue that this movie was a hit, unfortunately. So in terms of the cast, we have Rebecca Emily Satrup as Dina, 
We have Maria Bonavi as Melusina. That's her mother, the Shamer. We have Peter Plowborg as Draken. Jacob Oftebro as Nico. Olaf Johansson as Master Manus. Petra Maria Scott Nielsen as Rosa, not Rose in the film. We have Laura Bro as Miss Petrie, who is Master Manus's sister. And finally, we have Soren Maling as the Master of Arms, who we've not talked about, but is basically a person who ends up believing Dina and her mother mm-hmm. and goes against Draken at very high cost and extreme danger to try to help them get Dina's mother off of Death Row and then out of the city. Yes. Okay, so I would say, and you hinted at this, this is a very faithful film adaptation. From a plot perspective, absolutely. Yes, from a plot perspective. So I think there's a couple of things that we do want to talk about. So two big narrative differences I notice. The first is that we do the traditional film adaptation thing, which is we have to introduce more excitement in this. Mm -hmm. So instead of having Dina pretend to be a boy who is moving wood around the city so that she can get to Miss Petrie and deliver secret coded messages, we blow up Master Manus's house Mm -hmm. and Nico is thought dead for most of the film. Yes. I thought that this was an okay choice. I don't think it hugely compromises a lot of what we're trying to do with the book story, but it did feel like how do we introduce more excitement than just letting Dina go undercover? I think the biggest consequence of it is that it it removes Nico from the story for a yes. big chunk of the plot, which makes it so that Dina and Rose become closer sooner. Mm-hmm. I don't object to that, but I do like the friendship between Nico and Dina in the book, and I and Agreed. I miss that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, the flip side is their chemistry is a bit odd in the film, and I kept waiting yes. for them to make out. So I was okay yes. that he wasn't in it all that much. <laughs> okay, so I'm so glad that you raised that because <laughs> I got a little bit of it in the book where their age difference, it wasn't visualized, so it was almost easier to forget. Like, they do have a sibling, but also a romantic vibe. In the film, the age difference is much harder to read. He seems like he could be a slightly older teen. She seems like she could be a mid-teen. And yeah, it often does feel sexual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit unusual. The other thing that we noted that we really liked was how the dragon bite does affect Dina a lot in the book. And the movie absolutely forgets about it until it's convenient. (laughs) And it's very frustrating. Yeah, that part of it's very frustrating. I think, in general, the film is just not as interested in the, well, all the kind of political stuff about, like, the mm-hmm. patriarchal society and no. feminism and womanhood. Like, that that's absolutely of no interest to the film, which is okay, because it, it's fine. It would probably have been complicated to, to make sense of in the context mm-hmm. of the film. I think my biggest issue with the film is that I found it very... Uh, dull i guess as i said i watched Hmm. it first and it made me quite nervous for the book like i put off starting the book after i watched the film because i was like i didn't like that and it was like an hour and a half now the book's like 200 and something pages and if i if i don't like it as much as i didn't like the movie that's like a way bigger investment (laughs) luckily when i actually sat down to read it i was one chapter in before i was totally hooked by the book Mm -hmm. but you know Joe, as you are always the first to point out, I do have a bit of a bias against fantasy in general. Right. I also find this movie extremely dull. Like, 
Visually. Visually, which is a shame because there are moments when you actually get like the Danish landscape Mm -hmm. when it's beautiful, but it uses so little of that for obvious reasons. We're stuck inside. Well, most of it is also not danish (laughs) this this was mostly filmed in the czech republic and iceland (laughs) well my mistake okay so but you know where the landscapes are also beautiful and so like when they're about to throw dina off the cliff like i could have looked at that landscape all day and suddenly like there's a sun in this world for example like these are all exciting moments um you know it's really interesting because the world of the text is very concerned with day and night Mm mm-hmm you know, mostly because Dina is wet for like the whole 90%. back half of the book. <laughs> yeah. And so it really matters to her when the sun comes out. She notes it because she feels comfort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she notes when she's near sources of fire. Warmth is really important to Dina. She seeks it out and we see it all throughout the text. The film is... It's so dark, hey? Yeah. It's very sort of like Game of Thronesy in its mm-hmm. aesthetic um, yep. for... You know, and 2015, like, it totally makes sense that that's the aesthetic they pursued. Uh-huh. But I think that it's a little bit boring to watch, unfortunately. Like, even yeah. the dragons are gray. Like, everything is gray. Okay, so I am going to clap back about the dragons because I really like the visual approach of how they <laughs> design them. Because they look more like traditional Komodo or reptiles. Yeah, as they're big lizards. To, like, this isn't Harry Potter. This isn't Game of Thrones. So No, they don't breathe fire. And I, I also really appreciated that the CGI on the dragons was pretty darn good. I will give it that. They looked they looked good. I just they wish that good. they weren't the same color as the castle walls. There is that, yeah. They're definitely <laughs> just it, it is a lot of grays and blacks in this world. And I don't know if that was just an aesthetic choice to, yes, mirror something like Game of Thrones or every other kind of British Arthurian drama that you've ever seen in your life, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a choice, and you either like it or you don't. I will say it helped the sequences where we see Dina use her power, because we actually mm. get to see it visualized. That is cool. And her eyes change to green when she uses her power, and then we get this kind of, like, visual imagery that looks... It's a little Harry Potter-esque, if we're Mm -hmm. being honest, but Mm -hmm. she can like see into people's memories and we get to see a kind of montage of that. And I thought that was also very effective. Yeah, no, I agree. And I do, I like seeing how the power manifests. Mm -hmm. Her power is also more powerful in the movie, like way more powerful. She basically, she's the one who saves everyone really at the end in comparison with the mm-hmm. book where she's really it's her mom who does it it's her mom who does it and it's sort of the circumstances and it's rose with her knife like there's all these kind of mini moments that come together in the book to allow everyone to escape together mm-hmm. whereas in the film it's the shamer's daughter shames everyone she's at the once. chosen one right yes yeah, yeah. Which I get, she's the hero of the movie, it totally makes sense, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot less ramshackle. And I think there's a level at which that's what I really appreciated about the book. There's so many times when they all should have died. and It's a true underdog story, right? Like a bunch of underdogs come together to barely get out of it. And they keep getting through on the skin of their teeth. Like it's Mm -hmm. over and over again, that's how they get through. So yeah. You know, I get why she has to have that hero moment at the end of the film, but mm-hmm. it didn't work for me when I watched it prior to the text. And I I 
liked it less. <laughs> yeah, after I'd read the book. <laughs> yeah, I do want to give props to the film. However, I, I think a lot of these performances are pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. I will say I kind of enjoyed Rose more as a character than Dina at times. Oh, yeah, she's really lively. Just jumped off the screen a little bit mm-hmm. more, but maybe it's because she gets to be a bit more fun. Like, Dina's going through a lot of crap in this yeah, film. She really is. And then, yeah, you're right. Not having Nico there not only influences the way that the actors actually react to each other, but it just felt less believable that Dina would actually care as much when she discovers that he's alive. So I I did think that that ended up hurting things a little. But yep. with that said... I was kind of shocked that we didn't try to do a different ending from the book. Like, yeah, it doesn't have quite the same impact because they never go home. Like, we just see them on a boat and it's like, okay, now they set up camp somewhere and everybody's wearing fur. So, you know, oh, they've gone to a colder climate. Well, they do reunite with the brother and sister, right? Yes. Where does that happen? That wasn't clear to me. No, no. They're just sort of on the road one day and the brother and sister like also run down the road. It's very Hobbit. Everybody runs to each other. And I was like, Uh this is great. But where did they come from? (laughs) Yes. And and why would they have known to come here at this particular time? It's fine. But I was surprised that we kept a relatively... It it doesn't feel as Debbie Downer in the film. But we do feel unhoused. Like we're still setting up a second adventure and things cannot go back to the way that they were. Yeah, the reunion with the siblings is much more celebratory because it's not at the backdrop of their burnt home. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so from that perspective, it's less depressing. Mm-hmm. But I agree that it's not as sort of everything's okay as we mm-hmm. expect. It is much to me, it's much more stay tuned for chapter two than the book Indeed. is. Like, I think you can actually put the book down here and be like, well, this is a very dark world, but the characters I care about are okay. Like, yep. you can walk away from it. Whereas this is like, we're making another movie. Hope mm-hmm. you come see it. You didn't see this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we do have a second film, The Serpent Gift, which comes out four years later in 2019. So we could check out book two and watch the second film. I'd be happy to spend more time with Dina. Yeah, ag- agreed. And it's interesting because I, I casually just look to see, you know, oh, okay, so do we resolve this conflict in book two? So I checked it out. Book two is actually called The Shamer Signet. The Serpent Gift is actually book three. So I don't know if we're switching things around. And then the final book is The Shamer's War. And spoiler alert, we don't deal with Draken until book Oh, wow. Okay. So this is a sustained rivalry across the entire chronicle. And also the promo for the Shamers War is like, Draken is literally hunting down and killing all of the Shamers. Wow. Okay. It sounds epic. (laughs) It does sound epic. (laughs) It does. I mean, that is something I'm curious about, right? Because there's this notion that the Shamer is just an accepted part of society, but also Mm -hmm. there seems to only be one in each kingdom. So like, how does that work? Um, I Don't get me wrong. I'm glad the book didn't feel the need to tell me, but it does make me curious for more lore as I move forward in this world. Yeah, it's a good tease. I think that's what it is for me. I need to, it's not that I don't like lore, and I often complain about a lack of like context or politics in our non-fantasy books. So it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not like a constitutional aversion to context, but I need to care about the characters first. Like, don't give me five chapters off the top where you just describe what the hills look like. I'm not interested. (laughs) 
Oh my god, you're so petty sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I don't disagree. I mean, if I don't care about the characters, then you've lost. Like, yeah. you you have not done your job if I don't care what happens to the people in your story. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, why don't we play some YA bingo with this? Let's do it. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right, so Brenna, what have you got? Uh, we definitely have some abuse because, oh, yeah. oh gosh, so much, but especially I'm thinking about Rose here and her mm-hmm. horrible life. Yeah. We've got a dead body. We've got a mm-hmm. lot of dead bodies, really. Uh, three yes. very bloody ones, plus all the contextual parental dead bodies that are floating around. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a female co-screenwriter right yes yep there's definitely i think this is definitely a borrowed time narrative basically from the minute the mother disappears we know that something's coming and once they escape the castle it's coming imminently so Mm -hmm. i I would give it borrowed time yeah obviously magic supernatural there's lots of weird stuff going on here like Mm -hmm. magic wise uh what do you have uh, what do I have? Uh, I've got montage, if only for the way that we're even like in the book where we're getting the gang together and mm-hmm. we're preparing to rescue mom with the plan and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, even montage in the film when Dina uses her power and we see, you know, an entire life condensed down into a simple vision and so on. Yeah, that is actually a really effective use of montage. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got good friendships for the way that Rose and Dina come together. One of the moments that works the best for me in the entire book is when Dina reassures Rose that Mm. not only does she have nothing to be ashamed of for Mm. being a bastard, but also that she is a good person. I love that so much. I really like their friendship. And I also give a good friendship to Nico and Dina in the book. I really like the way Nico comes to respect Dina in that first night in the prison. And, mm-hmm. and from there yeah absolutely i'm also going to call dina a chosen one oh, with a film yeah. mm. there's i don't know if we want to call it a sexual awakening but just the way that the relationship between dina and nico does play out because it does have that kind of chemistry i don't mm. know you can fight me on it no i'd give it to you for the film there's definitely like they're gonna kiss in film too i'm almost certain right <laughs> yes um i also have a road trip because of course we are moving around (laughs) and then i've got coincidental classes because master manis and nico's relationship well i think is also really good it is hella convenient that nico just happens to have this one mentor yeah he had a falling out with but he can come to in times of need and of course he knows how to write secret messages that disappear and so on totally yeah uh, and then I guess the only other one that I had was aged up because some of the actors in the film do seem older. Like Dina seems yes. at least three years older in the film. Yeah. And I think in general, the film's target audience is aged up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I I mean, I would watch this with a 10-year-old, but I wouldn't like leave a 10-year-old to watch this on their own. Whereas right. I totally leave them with the book happily. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whores and all, Joe. <laughs> Well, there's the (laughs) subtitle for this episode. (laughs) All this to say, we did get a line under the G. (laughs) 
I really enjoyed this. And Charlotte, thank you so much for the recommendation. There's 0% chance that this would have crossed mine and Joe's radar without your 100%. recommendation. And it we're was so wild. I was delighted. like, wait, <laughs> this is a beloved Danish series that has two film adaptations. Yes. Literally had no idea. This is the whole reason we need listeners to write in. Just mm -hmm. FYI, everybody. If there's some text and you're like, I don't know why Brennan and Joe have never talked about blah. It's because we're stupid and we don't know about it. So please write in. Speaking of it which. It must be that. Yes. <laughs> if you want to reach out to us, <laughs> you mm -hmm. can find us at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod on most social media. If you want to send us something more long form, it's HKHSPod at gmail.com. Joe, mm -hmm. where do they find you? I can be reached at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Rena C. Gray. That's Gray with an A everywhere except the former Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. Joe. Yes. Are you excited to talk about racism, Brenna? <laughs> you know what? I have not read this book in a million years, mm -hmm. and I have never seen either film adaptation ever in what? my life. Yeah. If you could see my face right now. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, this is going to be very interesting. Folks, we are talking about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because we are trying desperately to get just five more people to download this freaking podcast. <laughs> so we're, we're coinciding with the release of Wonka. But yeah, we're going to read the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl, as well as we're going to try to watch both films. I've seen the original seen parts of the tim burton one but it looks so ugly i just oh i put it off so i guess the time is now i'm allergic to tim burton so this should be fun <laughs> here's the thing we can expect plenty of cgi and caricature-ish looks but uh i would argue that's almost the same with the original because it fits this property yeah this is true i mean i i know from the book that that weirdness abounds so mm -hmm. anyway i'm looking forward to it i feel like this is some cultural rite of passage that i missed till apparently i was 40 so let's do it now what the hey you haven't lived unless you've seen violet beauregard turn into a human blueberry <laughs> um and then looking ahead we've got some nice special christmas content for you coming up folks for those who who like that particular holiday and maybe some cozy reads that's all i'll say for now but we'll dig into that together the following week Okay, sounds good. All right, so uh, until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. And everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. I did not post this. I was going to try to do it from memory. Ooh, I think I probably could, and yet at the same time. <laughs> One second. And today's text is The Shamer's Daughter, book one in The Shamer Chronicles by Lene Carberball. Nope. And we're in the... We're... Who gave us this recommendation when we were talking back about the Alana. Uh, back when we were talking about Alana, the first adventure. There we go. And we should thank uh, Charlotte, who gave us this recommendation back when we were talking about Alana, the first adventure. And now it's still the first adventure. One yeah. more time. We're you got this, ace baby. this. <clears throat> mm -hmm. We. <laughs> Shh.